from Slutty Girl Problems is calling me. Oh, hey, Lorraine. Hi. Do you think it might be my internet? No. Um, okay. I don't think that's an issue at all. We're good. Okay. And we're rolling. <laughs> I was just <laughs> so I recorded at first when I called you and I was like I'm calling Lorraine from Slutty Girl Problems and I kind of was talking while it was ringing and I was like she ghosted me no and then, <laughs> then I opened Facebook back up and you were calling me so welcome to something positive for positive people Lorraine well thank you so much for having me I'm really excited to be here yeah I'm very grateful to have you um what drew me to you was I saw that you were discussing something about we need a button which is uh the campaign that I'm advocating for with Waxo as well um talking about just how unqueer friendly a lot of doctors are and how important it is for there to be more acceptance in the medical community so that people are able to receive much more empathetic and better overall just health care so i thank you for advocating for that and since following you and seeing that message i got to get a little more in depth of like what else is going on with you and i was intrigued so um i wanted to bring your sex positivity onto the podcast well thank you so much that means so much to me i definitely felt really passionate about the campaign when i learned about it i've had um some difficult experiences with healthcare providers and navigating my own sti experiences so i feel like it's really important to talk about it and reduce shame and stigma overall um regarding everything around sexuality and especially when it comes to getting better medical care better education uh, because really we're looking to providers to be um, a source of accurate supportive compassionate care and oftentimes that's one of the biggest sources of shame that just reinforces our own shame and cultural stigmas so yeah i'm excited to advocate for it and um to talk a little bit more here thank you yeah and i'm glad that you mentioned shame because I'm seeing that that tends to be the most powerful element of even just an STI diagnosis. Like we look at stigma, we look at the symptoms, we look at the treatment. All of this stuff is centered around shame. Like there's no shame in you getting a cold and going to Walgreens or somewhere and buying cold and flu medicine. There's no shame in buying a gym membership because you're having heart health issues and you just need to move. Why is there so much shame around sex and managing our sexual health? Absolutely. I mean, we're taught from um, growing up with sex ed how to prevent all these STIs, which is good information. But at the same time, we're not necessarily um, taught that it's also a normal part of sexuality, that it's so common. And like you said, many of these things, it's just like treating a common cold or treating a skin condition um, or really any other type of diagnoses you can get. Um, I agree. It shouldn't be shamed and stigmatized. Um yet we just have so much shame around our sexuality in general that it's then easy for people to say, oh, this is what happens to you when you're one of those quote-unquote bad sexual people. <laughs> and even um, like some of the 
terminology that's kind of thrown around, like if you don't have an STI or quote unquote clean, well, that doesn't mean that having an STI makes you quote unquote dirty. It's really outdated, shaming, stigmatizing language that just even shows up in normal everyday conversations about STIs. Yeah. The way you speak about it, especially on social media and having had a conversation with you prior to us getting together to schedule this podcast episode, I'm seeing that like you're pretty shame free. Has it always been like that for you? Um, so I grew up with a lot of shame around my sexuality and just a lot of confusion navigating that, um, especially as I started to get more sexually active, uh, being called a slut, fearing being a slut, fearing that, um, you know, I would be like a used up piece of gum that nobody else would want to touch. Kind of all of those ways that we shame women around um, like losing their virginity versus having a sexual debut, that it should be an exciting time where you're unraveling all these layers of your sexuality versus um like opening a pandora's box and then like all these um scary things come out that's not how sexuality is and yet oftentimes it's kind of how we portray it unless you're with that special someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with um so i definitely had a lot of fear around my sexuality um in addition to shame and continue to kind of navigate those messages i think that overcoming shame in a way isn't a destination it's kind of like a lifelong process because even though I feel like 90% there I still find new aspects of my identity every single day that um, I need to start unraveling and overcoming myself Um, and being a sexual person that has gotten STIs um, even battling kind of those internal messages that there's something wrong with you because you got one even if you know that that's not true like it's still a little voice that kind of plays over in your head um that you have to actively say well I don't prescribe to this model anymore and I'm not going to allow that voice to run over what I know to be true which is that I'm valid in my sexuality and that it's an empowering wonderful piece of me yeah and you started a company called slutty girl problems and we talked a little bit about the word slut um what's your relationship to the word slut it seems coming out of your mouth it like it's something that's empowering liberating whereas i've heard people who receive an sci diagnosis and be like people are gonna think i'm a slut so it's like the way you say it versus the way i often hear it it's so much different. So like what, let's start with what is a slut? Yeah. So to me, a slut is really anyone that identifies in a sex positive way that wants to explore their sexuality in a shame free way and break all of those cultural shames and stigmas. So to me, a slut is somebody that is really embracing their sexuality from a sex positive perspective and is looking to eradicate all of that shame and stigma in their own life. And this could be a person that has never had sex before, but wants to be sex positive and empowered, even if they never even desire to have sex with somebody else. Or it could be somebody that really wants to have a lot of sex with people, but um, wants to completely reduce all of that shame and regret and cultural stigma and unwrite those sex negative messages that we've gotten. So it's really about taking a sex positive perspective on your life um, versus the activities that you may or may not be doing. Yeah. So you can be slutty or a slut and not even be sexually active. Just it's really about the exploration. 
Absolutely. And I think like an openness and um, a way to kind of perceive the world in a more empowering way. Um, The word slut is used so often to degrade us and shame us and um, to make us feel bad about our sexuality. When in reality, there's nothing wrong with being a sexual person or choosing not to be a sexual person for any reason. Um, It's really a choose your own adventure that doesn't belong in anybody else's business but your own. And um, it's a way to stop being so self-critical, not be as critical to others. And when others are critical to you to say, I have no problem with my sexuality and you can, you know, project your shame onto me, but it's not going to affect me. I'm so, I want to be a slut. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy to me that you use such a specific empowering definition but this is a word that's been primarily targeted to female women presenting people in terms of their sexuality and it's like we're taking this word that without any context has I mean just the meaning that it has society views it as such a negative thing and here you are talking about it as such a powerful and empowering thing so I appreciate you for changing the narrative there like I have something to pull from now when people I connect with after their diagnosis are like oh my god people are gonna think I'm a slut and I'm like well that's a great thing I'm a slut too I've been approved I've been anointed by Lorraine from (laughs) slutty girl problems (laughs) yes absolutely I feel like it really helps take the power out of the word um, because when people can't use something to degrade you anymore and you've reclaimed it and owned it you get to stand firm in your power and in your powerful force of sexuality yeah and I have uh, something I want to add in there so we talk about taking the power out of words i remember growing up um i'm 31 tomorrow actually and oh happy birthday oh thank you and um one of my friends her younger son i think he's 10 11 um he had some friends over all boys and they're playing video games and one of the boys called another boy gay and he's like dude that's not an insult anymore so like we're at a place now where it's becoming more uh acceptable for us to be who we are and like these derogatory terms that used to hold and carry so much power over us no longer have that based on how we're becoming being able to freely express and being given that kind of support that um, enables us to continue to explore our own freedom and that's just not sexually but in all areas of life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad to hear that. That's an amazing example of kind of the cultural conversation changing. Um, And I think especially when it comes to um, like STIs and disclosure, that fear of being labeled a certain way or stigmatized really influences how people relate to their STI status and to their sexuality. Like you said, people fearing being perceived as a slut. But if we kind of take the negative connotation out of that and say, well, I'm a slut. So what? like everybody likes to have sex most people like to have sex and if you don't that's fine too um then it just you know there's nothing to be ashamed about and you can kind of start the conversation from a different level of let's actually get educated let's actually get informed let's actually talk about the experience not all of these misperceptions um that culture has told us it means yeah yeah and i think that it's really rooted in possessiveness as well 
Um, we live in a obviously patriarchal society that objectifies women. Women are seen as less than. Women are property, and to give words the kind of power in a controlling way, and oppress women from their sexuality and commoditize it in a way like that isn't working anymore because now we're understanding that like I would much rather be with someone women especially who are so expressive in their sexuality who've explored and uh, are sex positive and know what they like know what they want know what they're capable of and know what they want to explore than someone who you know is is kind of ashamed and feels like they are only obligated to do what I want to do like it's fucking fun like I love this word slut now yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. And I love that. And, you know, everyone is in a different place in their own journey. And ultimately, a lot of the people that feel shamed and repressed, they don't have fulfilling sex lives because they don't have that opportunity to open and explore and really dive into their desire. Um, shame is such a, like a heavy blanket that keeps us feeling bad about ourselves that it's hard to connect with a partner. Um, and it definitely takes a conscious unwriting to get there but I think that we're moving in a very positive direction oh yeah what was your conscious unwriting process with shame that's a great question um so it's really evolved over time I think at first I really dove into my sexuality to reclaim it because I had this sense of like well if I'm a used up piece of gum after I lose my virginity I might as well let everybody chew it <laughs> so it's like you kind of like I just felt like the balloon had burst, so I might as well have fun with it. Um, and that type of reclaiming to me um, felt very empowering at the time and gave me a lot to explore, but I didn't really do the mental piece to see, like, well, what does that mean to me? And um, what does it mean to be, like, sexually explorative and open and free and the emotional processing that goes with that? So I think really when I started to write, especially when I started to share my writing online and connect with other people that were going through a similar experience, other people that were exploring their sexuality, it really normalized for me that I wasn't alone, that there was nothing weird or shameful or wrong about what I was experiencing, and that we're really all having these sexual experiences um, and not talking about it. And the more that we talk about it and connect, we see that it's normal and that uh, we're not alone. Yeah. So it's really been connecting to a community of like minded people or Absolutely. even people who were just as confused, maybe, or uh, at a place where they were just fucking tired of it as you were. Yeah, whether that's online or in person, it's just really powerful to have that community and to share your own story, um, not just hear other people's story. Because when it's sometimes you can still think, all right, I read all these other people's stories, but mine's a little different here and a little different there. And then when you share yours and other people start commenting and they're like, oh, this resonates with me and that resonates with me. Not only are you adding to the cultural conversation in an empowering way to help others, but it really affirms to yourself that we're never as alone as we think we are yeah we aren't we never really are and i mean taking it back to the sci conversation like there's so much shame that's rooted in it i just went to an event actually last night where uh some people here locally who are living with herpes like there's a bunch of secret support groups and in my personal opinion if all of these support groups were to just connect with one another we'd be like oh there's probably there there should be like a 
club for people who don't have STIs and like we just not have any sort of secret communities because that's just how common it is. That's how many people are dealing with an STI that's incurable or have had STIs. Like when we look at it from that perspective, there are so many more of us that are readily available that if I walk up to a random person and say, hey, I have herpes, I mean, they may not know their status, but if they know what their status is, it's more than likely positive, you know, just because we don't have a reason to get tested or not but um anyways i was talking to someone uh at the event who just was so nervous about coming out and she was like you know what i was like here's my people like i found people that i have found a way to connect and in these deep dark vulnerabilities with herpes for example like that represents shame what I find is that it's not really ever the actual herpes that's the issue. What it is is how people feel about it. And when you get to the root cause of it, it's shame. So being able to connect with people who are also experiencing some kind of shame and being able to put yourself out there, which is a very fucking scary thing to do. It is so hard to put yourself out there. And we can interchangeably use the word herpes with just about anything else. You know, going out to date for the first time. If you're someone who's been divorced, if you're someone who isn't all that sexually experienced, going to a sex party or a kink party, then that's a challenge. But when you're out there and you feel seen and you see the people who you look up to or who look like you or think like you or are having the same challenges as you, it allows for you to really open up and expand your own perspective as well. And I think that that's what you're saying when you were able to reach out and connect to a community. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. It's scary to take that step. And I think part of the fear is just admitting, not just being public, but admitting that this is a piece of you now and admitting that, like, you know, you can't go back from that that moment when you kind of come out and start to be more open about yourself. Um, you know, it's easy to kind of hide from ourselves, but then it just puts us further in the shame closet. Um, yeah, and I love what you said about um, people just not knowing their status in general. It's so common. And I think most people, the vast majority of people have experienced an STI in their lifetime or will. So it's um, ridiculous to me that there would be so much shame about it. Most people don't know their status. They're not getting tested. Actually, there's so much shame around STIs that people are afraid to go get tested. And recently, a friend told me that her own doctor said unless she was having symptoms, there was no reason to get tested. Well, the two STIs I've had were completely symptom free. <laughs> so I, um, and then there's others that um, can really only be tested for when you're experiencing symptoms. Otherwise, the tests are inaccurate. So it's worthwhile to go and keep getting tested and not let shame be a barrier. Um, and to also recognize that other people probably have STIs as well and don't even know it. Yeah. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on your experience with your SCIs? Sure. So I've had um, chlamydia and I've also had ureaplasma. I don't so, know what that second one is. Yeah. So chlamydia is like super well known, super common. Ureaplasma, they 
uh, just started doing research around, so I thought that it was like a rare STI, but it actually is incredibly common. Many people have urea plasma, and it's usually not tested for um, unless you specifically ask or you're having symptoms. So I was having um, recurring BV, which is bacterial vaginosis, um, and then my doctors just did not only a full STI panel, because some STIs can increase the likelihood of you continually getting BV, um, and then they added this one in as just kind of like a random test to see if if that was an influence. Um, I've heard from other people since that some doctors refuse to test for it because it's so common, and that there's also a thought that if you test for it and you treat it, um, which I did, and it was difficult to treat, um, that then you're just going to end up getting it again anyway. So what's the point? Which kind of blows my mind because um, if it's so common that almost everyone has it and everyone's going to get it, shouldn't we be talking about it and not just saying, well, everybody has it, so who cares? So it's not a bad thing, but if everybody has it, why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we treating it? Especially because it can lead to other complications in the future. Uh, urea plasma in particular can lead to like pelvic inflammatory disease and pelvic pain, and it can lead to um, recurring miscarriages. So it's uh, amazing to me that we wouldn't be talking about it, that there wouldn't be education around it, and that we wouldn't be testing and treating it if it can lead to more significant complications down the road. Um, um, Real I actually, quick, are there, is this something that penis owners can get as well? Yeah, everybody can get it. Um, it's an interesting, um, I, I, I'm not sure if it's a virus or a bacteria. I would have to fact check that. But um, I know that it doesn't, oh, it must be a bacteria because you can treat it with antibiotics. Okay. So, um, but it doesn't have cell walls. So it took me several rounds of antibiotics to treat and my partner several rounds of antibiotics to treat. Um, and he was having kind of uh, urethral pain as well that he just thought was normal and a part of life. Um, and that was resolved as well when he got treatment okay i was going into conspiracy theory mode where i was like well the reason they don't test for it is because women's oppression and it's a thing <laughs> that only sluts get and they want to deter you from exploring your sexuality fuck the man that's what i was thinking in my head <laughs> well that's actually interesting to me about hpv that they're not advocating that um male-bodied people get the vaccine for hpv um when men can get um, throat cancer and esophageal cancer, I believe, from um, HPV as well, and we're not really sure. And they can get um, genital warts, which are common with HPV as well. So um, why we're just vac vaccinating women-bodied people because they have cervixes doesn't make sense to me. Everyone would benefit from the vaccine. Huh, I didn't know that. Um, thank you for sharing that here. That's something that I want to look into. I've tried to talk about HPV in the past on episodes, and I went to the Reddit HPV community, and I got a lot of shit for, like, making something a big deal when it's not. And now that you say that, I'm like, huh, now I have something to go against that because it's while not stigmatized, still something like it's an STI and people have the normal response that you get to uh, contracting an STI. And it just happens to be one that, as you just mentioned, can lead to so many other complications that extend beyond just sexual uh, exploration. 
Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's challenging when talking about STIs, because I'm a believer in education and prevention, because why wouldn't I want to prevent the flu or the common cold or, you know, prevent heart disease by going to the gym? Of course, I'm going to do everything in my power to, um, you know, prevent any type of illness from coming to me, whether it's my vagina has a cold or I'm having um, a skin symptom or whatever it is. And that doesn't mean that you feel stigmatized towards it or shame about it. When it happens, you can still say this is a natural, normal part of life. We can do what we can to prevent it. But if you get it, it's not the the end of the world. And sometimes when people talk about STIs, if you even start to say like, you know, well, let's try to prevent it with a vaccine or with, um, you know, preventative treatment, that that in itself is stigmatizing because we should just be accepting that it's common. doesn't make sense to me because like most people go and get a flu shot, (laughs) even though the flu is common. Mm -hmm. And um, we talked about how your experience went with the doctors and it seemed like there was some resistance there. I want to know what was your experience disclosing the partners because you are polyamorous. So I'm going to assume that you had to tell multiple partners at this point in time about your, I don't remember the word for it. Well, chlamydia and or the urea plasma. Urea plasma. Yeah. So at the time for both. Um, when I got urea plasma, I was um, just starting a new relationship. So I always get tested in between partners. As soon as I sleep with a new partner, um, I get tested. And that's how I try to keep on top of if, you know, tracking, you know, who I need to tell and when. Um, and then as soon as I found out that I had urea plasma, we were like, okay, we're not going to sleep with anyone until we figure this out and keep it like a closed circuit. Um so that that worked out well there. And then when I found out about chlamydia, again, I had just started sleeping with somebody new. He was sleeping with somebody else. Um, so he told her, and then she told whoever she was sleeping to. So then we, we all got tested. Yeah, so um, in this instance, we're talking about being ethically non-monogamous yes. polyamorous so everyone's like oh okay chlamydia whatever all right i'll tell everybody we'll get on yeah. the we'll do what we need to do in order to get checked and treated yeah yeah and i've actually heard that um it can be i have an experience with myself but you know if people are cheating and not using condoms with who they're cheating with or if they get something through skin to skin contact or oral sex um then they can spread it to, of course, their partner as well. And that becomes really difficult around disclosure. That's not how you want to ever find out that your partner is cheating on you um, or get that information. Um, And again, that's why I think, well, of course, you know, openness, ethical non-monogamy is important if you are going to be seeing multiple people, but also um, just being aware and getting tested um, because in being ethically non-monogamous, we do want to make sure that we are able to contain something as much as possible and not reinfecting each other, um, not reinfecting others. Yeah, and bringing that up is important too because um, there's a recent article about STD rates being on the rise and it infuriates me because these numbers all have a story attached to them that's not being told. So like you just mentioned, um, let's say there isn't, uh, like, well, I don't want to say 
uh, it's not ethical non-monogamy. It's just flat out cheating. Like there's cheating, there's the secrecy, and oh, our friend Shame's popping up back here again to where we have partners not only reinfecting themselves, we have partners who are also infecting one another. We have partners who aren't finishing their cycles of meds. We have medical professionals that aren't uh, delivering the proper diagnosis. Who, It's this entire web of stories that just aren't being told with the numbers. And so when you post from a credible source online anywhere that STDs are high and everyone should be scared, there's no backing for it. So the people who have STIs are like, ooh, that's a fucking gut check because now I'm being further stigmatized because... STDs are spreading. I have an STD. I mostly identify with the STD. And we're talking about like a common thought process. And so now I'm that thing nobody wants. And this is just further proof of it. No matter how far along you are in the healing process, when you hear or see something like that, it just like knocks you over the fucking head. And this is why we're doing this podcast. This is why we're having our conversation here. We're breaking down what these narratives are. And at some point may even be able to use these types of experiences and take these into consideration whenever these numbers are being presented. It's very frustrating to me that that's not what's happening now. It's just like this is a number of people, whereas you have whoever who's coming to the same clinic like four times over the course of a month for the same infection who's not finishing their meds they're not disclosing to their partners and their partners might be infected and reinfecting other people that is something that i hope comes out of this podcast is that we're able to get people the information that they need and we can stop this like pounding of the message of STIs going up i've never seen an article that said sti rates are going down and this is really what it should be like how are we getting these numbers what are we pulling from all things to consider yeah, that's a great question, um, because I wonder, too, if as there's more education and advocacy for people to go get tested, if many people that just didn't know they had an STI before are now getting tested, and then that's kind of artificially inflating the numbers. Um, I remember it might have been this past year, it might have been the year before, um, there was an article that came out that um, there was a herpes explosion at Coachella, and the implication was that all these people at Coachella were sleeping together and spreading herpes. When in reality, there was an app that was promoting itself at the event where you could put your symptoms in and then they would diagnose you um, based on that. And I, I believe that this is the case that, you know, a lot of people were putting in symptoms and then getting a diagnosis while at Coachella. And then, it, you know, it got blown up in the news that Coachella has huge STI rates. But in reality, that's also not how STI transmission works. That would have to be multiple people that are in an infectious period that are sleeping with others and, and, also that those people are immediately exposing symptoms or uh, expressing symptoms over a three-day period. Most STIs take a while until you start feeling <laughs> symptoms. Um, and of course that can vary, but uh, like with herpes or HPV, you could have gotten it five years ago and not experience a symptom. Um, I believe yeah. that this conspiracy theory, Courtney again, <laughs> was like... It's it's shocking to me that there was an app that was named in the article 
And when you read the article, what you see is that they noticed so many um, new inquiries on their app from that specific area. So maybe post-Coachella, people were just checking to see if they were having symptoms or if they could get tested for it. That wasn't what was in the headline. The headline, 100% clickbait. Coachella herpes outbreak. And the irony of there just being this one company that happens to test people for herpes being listed in there and promoted. Like, it seemed to me like it was just a PR stunt for them. Absolutely. And um, we shouldn't be shaming people for downloading apps to check their status or for looking up information or to then assume that all of those people got an infection at Coachella. I mean, it's, it's laughable, but at the same time, people do read that and then feel bad about themselves and ashamed and it just snowballs from there. Mm-hmm. Um, with being polyamorous and it seems like there's a lot of communication there. So I'm someone who's more recently and by recently, I mean, maybe three, four years ago, um, been exploring what that means, what non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship, anarchy, all of these uh, non-traditional forms of relationships are and now having language and templates and understanding of the way that relationship styles can be created, co-created. Um, I see that the biggest factor is just this like this transparency and communication and going back to the example where you shared that you contracted chlamydia, you told all your partners in that window, you know, you're, you're looking out for them. And that level of transparency is really commendable because for people that I've known in the past throughout history who've gotten an STI, they don't even want to tell the person that they got it from or may have gotten it to. And again, here's our friend shame that pops up in fear of and being ashamed of being found out for having contracted chlamydia. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely uh, understand that fear. And I think that it was something that went through my mind as well. But ultimately I was like, we're all, we're all sleeping with one another we all probably have it (laughs) and it's better for us to know and to be able to treat it than to just kind of allow us to keep reinfecting each other and possibly snowball into um, more challenging symptoms that are then harder to treat. Um, But I definitely felt that way and wrote like a carefully curated text to my new partner and I also wanted to make sure that when I told him that I was being very non-judgmental and I think I I remember saying in my text hey I I just got my test results back I'm not upset with you I'm not angry at all I just wanted to let you know I got chlamydia and you're the only recent person I've slept with since my last test Um, but that I'm not upset at all I got antibiotics I encourage you to go to your clinic and get antibiotics and then like you know check back soon and start having sex again once we're both tested yeah Um, that's a very good way of putting it too like it's hey this happened um i'm not mad at you like go get this taken care of so we can get the banging again yeah absolutely and um you know there was kind of a piece of me that i was like i want to make sure that this doesn't come across because i wasn't upset and angry but i think you know it's hard to read tone and text messages so you want to be um compassionate to let your partner know and um 
yeah, to get back to the sex life that you want to be having. Mm-hmm. Uh, another element that I noticed that came up that I hadn't heard before, just in traditional relationship styles, is you encourage him to get his own. I cannot tell you how many people I've heard have a partner ask them, well, can I just use your medication? So now we're talking about splitting a prescribed amount of medication to treat a an STI now being split between two people. So the dosage itself may not be enough to clear the virus. And people may begin, again, having sex with one another. Here's another one of those narratives that isn't being told with the numbers. So I want to make sure to plug in here, like, finish your rounds of medication as prescribed, please. And then it's always important to follow up as well to make sure that the virus has been cleared. I know people who have not finished their medication and started having sex again and then they look up and they're right back in the clinic uh, not wanting to even go. Yeah, so we actually had, t- I had two experiences around that. When I got ureoplasma, it's very difficult to treat. Um, I had several rounds of antibiotics and kept having to get retested, both my partner and I. And we we had that new relationship energy. We were so excited to keep hooking up that we did not want to wait the window. <laughs> and we did keep reinfecting each other um, because I would test clear. Maybe he was on the very tail end of his round of antibiotics. We would decide it was a good time to sleep together again and just hope for the best and yeah we we definitely kept reinfecting each other there so I had learned my lesson with that um and then this time with chlamydia um my partner um was actually still experiencing symptoms after going to uh going through treatment and I had tested negative for chlamydia and um after treatment and he went back to the clinic and was almost certain that he still had chlamydia the doctor was like this has to be and it ended up being a uti which is very uncommon for male-bodied people to get um so that was an interesting moment as well he actually had went that they had like refused to test him for a UTI at the beginning and um, were kind of like certain like, oh, your partner must be cheating on you and must be reinfecting you and must not be telling you the truth about her status when really it was just a different infection entirely. Um, so again, that can kind of come back to um, our healthcare providers not necessarily providing the best care either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that doctors and care providers, healthcare providers may be under a lot of pressure to oh, always have the right answer. But I think that there's still more of a, there's more power in being able to say, I don't know, but we can figure this out. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've heard stories where doctors have just given misinformation or just the wrong information, telling people who are diagnosed with herpes, for example, that they don't have to disclose unless they're having an outbreak, that they can't pass the virus on unless they're having an outbreak, that they can just wear condoms and they won't pass on the virus, that yeah, all of these different things, and then even with the language that's being used around herpes, we're talking about um, the 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 stigma, and with to me, um, from what I see talking to all the people that I've interviewed on this podcast who are living with herpes, like that first response that you get when a doctor delivers a diagnosis to you, that's really going to determine how you choose to move forward. So if you're met with 
Hey, shame, back again again in this podcast. If you're met with shame, you're going to carry that shame into your future interactions until you begin to see that there's another way. Just like with the word slut. Like, a slut isn't something to be shameful of anymore. If anybody asks me about my identity, I'm like, slut, both hands up and legs. What's up? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a really important part of the conversation. I wish that doctors um, and healthcare professionals kind of gave us scripts on how to disclose because they say, you know, you should disclose to all your partners and, you know, if, if you have an active infection like chlamydia, you know, stop having sex with your partner for a certain amount of time until you clear it, but they don't give you any information on how to do that in a compassionate way. Um, and especially if there's fear and anger and confusion and pain with the diagnosis, the last thing you're really thinking about is how can I express this in a compassionate, loving way? You know, you might be so angry that you now have this information. You might be devastated. You might be fearful of the future and you don't want to put your partner through that or you're ashamed and embarrassed that it even happened in the first place. Um, so having those conversations openly and honestly, that's why I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing with your podcast and your work on how we can have those conversations with our partners um, that come from a loving place. And it really has to start with loving on yourself because if I had gotten upset about chlamydia and ureoplasma and I was angry that they had given it to me and I felt ashamed and I felt stigmatized and dirty and wrong and bad there's no way that I could have approached that conversation in a loving way I would have come back with anger or would have just walled myself up Um, so it really starts from within and then how do we bring that to other people I think a good idea and I heard this from someone who's going to write on it who proposes that medical professionals just bring in a uh, like on-site on-call sexuality professional expert who can have these conversations who can talk through this who can go over the diagnosis maybe have a conversation with the, uh, some sort of a script for how to disclose your SCI status and we have a completely that'd be a fucking game changer if we were to have something like that and this was just in the side conversation that I had with uh, Emily DePaz who um, created sex education sex education with an L in the middle um, we were talking about this and I was like damn that is brilliant because that's something that would be so fucking useful to not only the medical professionals but to the people who are receiving a diagnosis when you receive a positive diagnosis that can often be a very traumatic event for people and doctors are taught to treat the symptoms and uh, get rid of the infection here's what you need and very objectively and oftentimes inject their own opinion in there and again having a person receive that negativity that shame guilt whatever it is that's being projected from the doctor because oh we're so afraid to talk about sex but everybody most people want to do it that having a sexuality professional in there is able to kind of remove that thorn that was placed in there by the doctor and help people go out into the world a little more shame free 
Yeah, and I think it's definitely a process, especially um, when thinking about continuing to date and how do I disclose to new partners. There's so many factors that go into that. Um, I get asked all the time, like, well, how soon should you disclose? And um, I know, particularly for women, there's definitely a fear of, like, physical um, aggression in disclosing. Um, you know, there's definitely, like, a safety element there. Um, but it just be, to be able to have resources Resources to talk about those conversations and I think also it's about just education on a large scale because I think if most people were educated about what STIs are and the actual impact that they have on our lives then when receiving the information from their partner about STI status it wouldn't be so devastating or upsetting because they would understand what that actually means in a practical way yeah yeah and that's one of my goals in interviewing people like you and sexual wellness organizations and nonprofits that provide free condoms sex education sci testing and treatment is to uplift these resources so that people are aware that they're out there and they're available to the point where you're regularly getting tested in a sex positive queer friendly environment where these conversations are normalized where it's normal for someone to come in hey uh dr so-and-so it's me again courtney i'm just gonna grab a bowl of these condoms and that's okay you can always take as many of those condoms as you want out of there and get the kind of familiarity with going and being aware of your sexual health and being informed and like that's also like sexy when people are aware of their sexual health and are able to confidently have these conversations there is a level of safety that increases the intensity of intimacy so if i'm someone who feels safe with you i'm more likely to have a better experience with you and want to give you a better experience 100 percent. before i sleep with someone who i almost always sometimes i get wrapped up in the moment but i almost always try to have a conversation about um when were you most recently tested and i think that that is a really important conversation because if it was a year ago and they've had multiple partners since i don't have um a comfort level with that uh with that answer if they say last month and i've only had one partner or i haven't had any partners since i was last tested that makes me feel a lot more comfortable uh in that interaction or if they're like i know my sti status i've had hpv before and i got it treated and then i've had people ask me hey i know that i have hpv have you been vaccinated before um and then we can have that conversation from there so um that I think is so important and I, I agree it's sexy and it makes me feel comfortable and secure that you know we're all taking our health into our own hands and I know that if something were to happen this person's someone that I can have an educated conversation with that isn't going to flip out um, and get upset and angry that they're going to be handling it in a mature way because they're already handling their sexual health in a mature way. I also think that I would want to encourage people that if they have a doctor where they are feeling like they're being shamed or stigmatized or getting kind of like like a little bit rude comments um, here and there to look around. I know that the process sucks to find a new doctor. It can be painful. It can be challenging. It can be annoying. But um, it's really worth continuing to look for other places to get the compassionate care that you deserve. It took me, I, I basically thought that getting 
you know, shaming care was normal for years until I moved and started looking for other doctors um, and then found a place that I'm really happy with. And it's so worth it to be in a place that you're happy and feel like you're getting the compassionate, shame-free care that we all deserve. Yeah, I just paused the podcast because I had a brain fart. I had a really good question I wanted to ask, and Lorraine was just, like, flowing and finishing her statement. And then I had a brain fart, and I always make this joke that herpes is linked to Alzheimer's, and I'm having an episode. <laughs> oh, so we'll just pick it back up. We can talk about dating and, uh, I mean, dating people. Have you dated anyone who was positive for an SCI, let's say HIV or herpes. Oh my God, I just remembered, like I said I would. Yay! <laughs> my question to you was about being openly slutty um, and a slut and the kind of interactions that you have from people. Um, I remember one day on your Instagram story, and we can go back to the dating thing later, but you shared how uh like a man was being disrespectful in your dms and is that something that happens often like how do you handle that yeah i would say that it's definitely something that happens pretty often um most uh women presenting people on the internet can relate like i get a lot of dick pics in my dms which is just like baseline disrespectful um i think that that particular example somebody who's calling me like an attention-seeking whore and i was like yeah like i love attention and i'm a whore like ding 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 like hello so it wasn't even like an insult but it was a pretty scathing message um and just sad that somebody would take the time out of their day to write something like that to me. Recently, I got a comment that said something like, all of you guys are commenting on this girl's picture when she's done nothing of value other than post a picture of herself in a skirt. And I'm like, first of all, you commented on the photo too. <laughs> and second of all, like, I, I think that doing all the work that I'm doing does have a positive value, even if not every single image is with a thought-provoking caption. And even if I was just posting images of myself celebrating, you know, my sexuality in a way that isn't tied to a, a larger message, we're allowed to do that too. That's totally fine. You're allowed to have an Instagram where you're just expressing your sexuality just as the vessel that it is without anything, any larger goal. If that's your sexual expression, that's amazing for you. So there's just a lot of sex negativity in general. And I think it's people battling with their own um, expressions of sexuality that then feel the need to turn around and put it onto others because I can almost guarantee that the people that are in my DMs and comments saying things like you're an intention seeking whore that isn't putting any value into the world they're not going home and having amazing empowered open shame free exciting sex they're probably struggling with it in their own lives in some way so I really you have just, compassion the way you just put that was so professionally because I was one 100% sure you were going to say they're probably just going home and like sadly masturbating the porn. I, I thought you were going to go that route. This speaks volumes to your character versus mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
people that are bottling that up, it's just, it comes out in sad ways. So I really try to have compassion for them and realize that um, it does, it's not a reflection on me, that it's a reflection on them. And I hope that my work or someone else's work will ultimately touch them so that they feel more empowered and don't have to um, lash out and hurt other people. Yeah, you were just on the other side of that shame cano where it's just bubbling up and then it rubs and explodes and it's like okay are you finished like yeah, dealing absolutely. with trolls is quite the experience and like i'm sorry you got to deal with that and the reason that i asked you specifically about this question is because i have a friend who is very she has she's very attractive and she also has a, an instagram account that is purely for her sexual expression and her face isn't anywhere on there it's not connected you wouldn't know that the two are connected but even Without her face, she still gets things like dick pics because they know she's a woman, I guess. And there's no consideration for um, her privacy or viewing her as a human, just an immediate like sex object. And one of the things that she said to me was, you know, it sucks that I can't just be friends with guys because they assume that I want to fuck them or like we can't have like sexually charged conversations without it going there. So as someone who is polyamorous and slutty, um, you don't just want to fuck everybody. Yeah, there's definitely um, a, a misinterpretation there that somebody who's you know, kind of has a sexualized persona, especially online, um, and is slutty, whether it's in a professional capacity or in a non-professional capacity, um, is just going to sleep with anyone. And we all still have preferences and desires and interests and, um, you know, we're attracted to different types of people. Um, and, I still value friendships as, as friendships and still, you know, see people as a different romantic connection or sexual connection. It, it exists on a spectrum. Um, so I think over the years, I, I've really worked in my own life to create a friend network and a supportive network of people that are also sex positive and our understanding of that and cultivate that in my own like chosen friends and communities. Um, but going into the larger world, there definitely is that stigma. And when I first started this work and started to be more open about my sexuality there was a little bit of um picking the weeds that I had to do in my own life to say oh well it seems like some people in my life can't really handle that without taking it in the wrong direction or the wrong way and then how do I navigate that in that relationship or where do I put this friendship in my life for that um all right, I'm glad we got to touch on that. So picking back up on the dating world, so you're someone who's aware of your STI status. Um, we've spoken, and you've not tested positive for herpes. Um, and as far as I know, you're on PrEP. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So I went on PrEP um, several months ago um, because, like, I, I, I might have said in this interview, but I'll say it again. Uh, I am polyamorous, and I also go to sex parties and do, like, group sex and um, with my partners, like, to be with other partners, so I felt like it was a reasonable risk that I might become in contact with somebody that has HIV and maybe doesn't know their status or is on um, antivirals to reduce their um, infection, and uh, I, I don't have the terminology quite correct for that, I'm sure, um, but I kind of weighed my risk and said I think that this is something that I want to be on to give myself um, 
you know, the most prevention that I, is possible. Um, and in regards to like HPV and herpes, I also feel like they're so common that it's probably pretty likely that I've been exposed to them and didn't know and that the partners that I've been with don't necessarily know. I mean, just having sex with multiple people in general, regardless of whether you're polyamorous or going to sex parties, you're just exposing yourself to more people that could potentially have various STIs. Um, and I think now in the communities that I'm in, going to places where there are people that are testing more regularly, are more educated, are more aware, I actually feel um, safer in a sense of like that it's more likely that people are getting tested and are aware. But back when I was in college, first exploring my sexuality, there was no way that we were all getting tested. I wasn't getting tested. I'm sure my partners weren't getting tested. And it was happening so often, so frequently that um, I'm sure that I was exposed to different STIs. So um, now that I'm older, I definitely understand the importance of testing, of talking about it with my partners, of disclosing, of being on preventatives when you can, of um, getting treatment uh, when you're able to. Um, but that definitely is a risk that I assume in the lifestyle that I have um, versus choosing to be monogamous with one partner um, in a closed loop where we've both been tested. Mm -hmm. And have you ever had a partner disclose to you that they had a positive status for anything prior to moving forward with them? I did have a partner disclose that he had HPV and I had been vaccinated against HPV. Um, so I felt comfortable with that risk. Um, we ended up not seeing each other to the point of where we ended up having sex, it kind of fizzled out before that. It was kind of a distance issue. But um, I definitely would feel comfortable dating someone with an STI status because I know that there is not only preventative options, but the lived experience of an STI. And this isn't to minimize anyone's experience. Of course, it's on a spectrum and it varies from person to person. Um, but everything is treatable and um the level of impact that it has on most people's lives it's coming up in flare-ups and every so often and then they're able to take care of it um in a way that is not intrusive the most intrusive thing is the shame and stigma and the social consequences and if you kind of remove that piece and you're feeling comfortable with disclosing and other and you're in communities where disclosure is open and encouraged and accepted i feel like that's just a huge piece of the puzzle that's resolved and then you're just managing whether it's getting a wart removed or getting regular pap smears or treating a skin outbreak, whatever it is, you're just managing the physical manifestation at that point. You're not dealing with all of the emotional storytelling and shame that we put on top of it. Where'd you get all your education from? Because the way that you speak so confidently about STIs and how common they are and how comfortable you are with having this open dialogue, it, 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 tells me that maybe you had a different quality of sex education or maybe you even just did your own research uh, when you began to become sexually active. 
Yeah, so this is largely my own research and listening to podcasts like yours, listening to people's lived experiences with STIs and the actual impact that it has on their their lives, um, and listening to other podcasts where people are talking about their STI status and really just educating myself that it's not the scary story that we've been told um, in our health and sex ed classes. Um, and I'm really grateful that you said that because actually when I talk about STIs on my Instagram, um, I've actually been accused of having like a like blase-faire, laid-back attitude that minimizes STIs and minimizes their impact. And well, what are you messages. supposed to be like scared? Are you supposed to tremble as you talk through it? Yeah, I mean that's what people have said that like I'm not only minimizing it but acting like it's not the big deal that it is. And I'm like, okay, but. But I don't think that it's a big deal. And we're, we hear so often that it is, and I want to change that narrative. Yes. And I want to say that, like, I'm not afraid and I'm not ashamed and I don't think you should be either. And I think that that's a perspective to be celebrated. And that doesn't mean that I think you should just go out and, you know, fuck whoever without protection, without talking about it, without taking any preventative measures. But you can live in an in-between space where you aren't afraid and you're still taking measures and still in control of your health. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because it's been challenging to be told um, that. To be discredited. I'm, like yeah, you, your I'm intention. minimizing something that's a big deal when I'm trying to help people feel better and less ashamed about their sexuality. Yeah. And I mean, this just really speaks to the people who are projecting this onto you. There's such a fear of talking about sex, period, that when you take it a level deeper and you talk about the realities of sex and how realistic it is that you may come into contact with an STI. Some people may know it, some clear on their own, some people may not show symptoms. And there are cases where you do have symptoms. And when you have symptoms, it's okay to go and get them treated. Yeah. Uh, Jamie J. LeClaire is a sex educator I follow on Instagram and one of the things that they posted recently is that every STI is manageable and treatable or curable and that's where we need to be like just because you have an STI doesn't mean you can't manage doesn't mean that it can't be cured if it's one of the yeah. ones that we have medication that can cure but in order to start and initiate that process we have got to be able to go and get tested and if we can't have the conversation like if we can't even think about it if we can't even say it out loud if we can't communicate it to partners yeah. we can't communicate it to doctors we can't talk about it at all how are we supposed yeah. to do that actually i i this is random. I've actually never talked about this before, but I want to bring in another example because um, I think so often we talk about like the common cold, right? And that you wouldn't, if you don't go out in your life afraid all the time of the common cold, even though you could get it or the flu, even though you could get it. But that's one of those ones that comes and goes, right? And then when you think about something like HIV or herpes or HPV, it's something that is manageable and treatable, but it stays with you. So I just thought of this example. I actually have pretty significant here hearing loss in one of my ears and like moderate hearing loss in my other ear and one of my favorite things to do is go to concerts I love going to concerts I go to like two or three concerts a week usually it's a big part of my life and um like sex 
like with um, my hearing loss, I know that it puts me at a higher risk. And then I do a risk assessment of, you know, how much do I love this thing that I'm doing and how much does it mean to me in my life and how much enjoyment do I get out of it versus knowing that it's actually probably going to cause me more ear damage. Um, and I take protective measures. I wear earplugs. I got really nice, high quality, like musicians earplugs. And sometimes if a concert is too loud and it's painful and I'm not really enjoying it, I'll choose to leave early. Or if it's an act that I don't really want to see, or if I forget my earplugs, I'll leave early. Um, and I'll say, okay, the risk isn't really worth it for me today because this isn't like my favorite artist and it's a little too loud um but that's something that again is going to have a long-term consequence for me in my life and it's risk assessment in the moment of how much do I enjoy this thing whether it's sexuality or a pleasure activity or a hobby or anything that you enjoy and I'm not going to be so afraid of the consequences that I limit my enjoyment in this in this life I just take precaution yeah, and that comes with a high level of awareness and an awareness that can only really come from being explorative and having your own experiences. So if yeah. people aren't able and willing to and safe enough to explore and have their experiences, then it's going to create an opportunity to where they're not going to be able to expand in a way that we all should be able to. And just Yeah, and you don't want to get your STI status or be so afraid of getting an STI and then limit yourself from enjoying sexuality or fearing it, especially when we're talking about um, things like being open and poly or group sex to limit yourself for fear of getting or having and disclosing STIs. Um, for me, that risk benefit analysis is I still want to explore and I still want to do this in a mindful way, not close myself off. Yeah. And I want to share this here too, that like I hadn't began exploring non-monogamy at all until after my herpes diagnosis, which is mind-blowing to people because you would assume, oh, well, if you don't have an STI, you want to avoid STIs, or if you have one, you want to avoid getting more. And I'm finding that it's not really about the quantity of sexual partners that you have. It's really about the quality. And so the people that I began to engage with after my diagnosis were people who were aware people who ask questions if I disclose my status hey I'd like to move forward with you however the conversation goes there were questions it was okay well what are some of the precautions we can take or it would be um what uh they'd share that they have the same status or like they'd be like oh yeah my partners and I'm like whoa partners it's like yeah well we're not together and it was just a completely different dynamic than when I identified as monogamous and I would just date and just have multiple sexual partners without any sort of a label or identification attached to it so like you can in fact begin to have a more explorative sex life despite having a positive sti status because it's about the people it's about the attraction like i say this often that dating with herpes is just like dating period mm -hmm. like even without an sti without herpes you still run into people you're not compatible with you'll run into people who ghost you who don't have their shit together and for me personally my greatest metrics for potential partners are maturity and consistency and shit transparency at this point that's something that's also creeping its way in there so if you're someone who's dating and you only want to date other people who have the same sexual health status as you 
allow yourself to understand that like that doesn't have to be the option and you can take that from my experience or anyone else's experience on the podcast and just talking to people like you even like you're aware and that awareness that education piece that maturity these are all things that people should look at as well and not just oh well I have a positive status and this person doesn't know their status or they have a negative status so I can't move forward with them yeah and I think um it's really about surrounding yourself in more sex positive communities um and being mindful of of, of who you date, I would actually be much less comfortable sleeping with someone that told me they had never been tested than somebody coming to me and saying, like, I know my status and I'm positive. Because then we can actually talk about what that means and what the experience is like and what the risk is and what we can do versus someone who has no idea about any of it and won't take any agency over their sexual health. So that's a much bigger red flag to me. And like you said, it's about the quality of the pool that you're in and who you're choosing to date and sleep with and um, making those assessments. Mm -hmm. All right, sex party atmosphere. So how do these conversations come up in casual dating? How do you casually talk about SCIs? Like if there's someone you hit it off with at a bar, you're like, fuck yeah, dance together, make out. You just like Uber the fuck home. You're making out in the back of the Uber and then you get home and things are hot and heavy, clothes are coming off. Like at what point between the initiation of that encounter and I guess whenever sex is quote over are there conversations around SCIs because I have conversations with people who say well what if it's a casual thing or a one-night stand should we still be talking about SCI status Oh, absolutely. So um, I don't, I can't speak from the disclosure end because I don't have that experience, but I do ask um, before, like in, even in that getting hot and heavy stage, I ask, um, when is the last time you've been tested? Have you had any partners since you've last been tested? And sometimes I'll get people that look at me like I'm crazy and I'm like, oh, well then maybe we shouldn't be sleeping together. If I have somebody that says, oh yeah, I was tested last month and I've been with one person since then that to me feels like oh this person knows what they're doing and like you know has some more agency over their life so um if people think that it's awkward then they're probably not somebody that I want to sleep with if they think that it's ruining the moment then they're not somebody that I want to sleep with um so to me it's actually an interesting way to weed people out because I there's no amount of good dicking that is going to like make it okay to me that my partner had no awareness of their health whatsoever like a a good dicking can wait like another one will come so i would rather be someone informed and and aware for the majority of this podcast i hadn't heard you curse and i was like oh fuck i've cursed like a hundred (laughs) times and you said fuck earlier and i was like oh okay she's she cool i don't have to uh edit out my curse words so that i don't make you look bad (laughs) no it's fine it's fine i love it (laughs) all right uh so that that that's good information to know because i mean i'm curious as well i have people who reach out about those kinds of things who think that they now can't attend sex parties at all because they're fearful of having to disclose but the reality is the people who are in these spaces these sex positive spaces are aware risk aware and it's more acceptable 
and welcoming to have these kinds of conversations in these environments. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Actually, I was at um, a party several weeks ago and I was really hitting it off with someone and I had chlamydia at the time and I said something like, I'm really into you and I really want to like hook up with you and sleep with you, but like I have chlamydia right now, so I'm waiting to clear that up. And he was like, oh my God, welcome to the club. I have gonorrhea right now. <laughs> we were like, yay, like let's put this on the shelf until we've both been like cleared. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, like, let's reopen this in the future so it was like like when there's awareness and education people are less scared of it and it's just an open part of the conversation so mm-hmm. just like you said you can disclose your status and somebody else says oh i have it too cool like let's let's go you know mm-hmm. and that's what okay. we need to be we got to get to that place we have to be able to just comfortably have the conversation especially because that confidence it instills that sense of safety it demonstrates um, how informed you are how safe someone can be with you and like I said that confidence is just it's sexy yeah, and you don't want to be having sex with somebody and then think, be worrying in the moment or think after, like, oh, man, I didn't ask the questions. Now I'm nervous. Now I need to go to the clinic, and I have no idea even possibly what my risk level is. Um, even if you – even if I, like – even if somebody said to me, like, oh, I haven't been tested in a long time, then I can take the precautionary measures that I'm comfortable with and still go to the clinic feeling a little bit safer that I at least have, like, a baseline mm-hmm. um, versus not ever asking the question whatsoever. Um, and also, as um, I'm not on birth control, and uh, that's a, a piece for me as well that's important to express to my partners um, because I track my ovulation, so if I'm ov- ovulating and then we're using condoms or they're pulling out or if I'm not ovulating like how else or how like what types of protection are we going to use depend on the situation so um yeah that's important for me too and I think important for them to know as well because it's an assumption that most uh, women-bodied people are on birth control so it's important disclosure all around see i was taught to ask that question more so than what's your sti status mm. when's the last time you've been tested are you on birth control no all right i don't need this <laughs> like that's been well the actually yeah i've had partners that were incredibly scared of sleeping with me because i'm not on birth control and then they had a lot of questions for me on well how do i feel like are you trying to get pregnant like how do you feel about plan b and how do you feel about um you know other other options if you were to get pregnant so that's something that actually i guess that that's something that i do disclose to partners in advance of sleeping with them because there are people that are very nervous to sleep with someone not on birth control and that's valid and we should have a conversation around it mm-hmm. uh to expand on another resource here episode 99 of something positive for positive people is called integrative disclosure and it features a physician dr Evelyn dacker who talks through her stars conversation um, on how to disclose we talk about um, the safety or sti status turn-ons avoids relationship intention and then how you plan to keep one another safe so anyone who's needing more information about disclosure and having conversations around that you can just check out episode 99 or something positive for positive people 
One... I'm so grateful that you've created this resource. It's so powerful. It's something that I wish I had um, growing up, but even find very useful now. So thank oh. you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. I get a question often that I can't answer, and I know that you're very newly exploring queerness. Um, first, can you define queer for me from your perspective? Yeah, so um, my queer identity, I've always known since I was young that I was interested in all different types of people, um, but felt uh, some family and cultural shame around expressing that and bringing it up. I had tried several times in my teens with my family and friend group to um, kind of broach the topic and it was never really met well. So now I'm in my late 20s, so still battling some internalized shame around my sexuality um, and exploring what my identity means for me. I know that I'm into men, women, trans. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I identify as queer, but fall somewhere in the bi pan land of attraction um, and exploring kind of what that means to me on a romantic level, on a sexual level, um, whether that's something that I want to explore individually or with a partner or in group scenarios and kind of how that's going to fit in my life. So um, for me, queer is kind of like an umbrella term that encompasses all of that exploration and expansion into an unknown, just knowing that you don't fit the heteronormative model. That was beautifully said. So we touched on way more than I thought we would touch on and we didn't even get to talk about slutty girl problems yet uh that's that's your page it's your Instagram handle can you tell us what slutty girl problems is please sure so slutty girl problems which is slutty grl probs on instagram um and other social media i actually started in on twitter um when i first started exploring my sexuality and was experiencing a lot of shame so it was an anonymous outlet for me to um express myself and since then it's really grown and expanded to a website where we have posts from um, sex educators writers um, porn stars, activists, people across the sex positive feminist spectrum um, coming on to talk about all different issues related to sex, dating, relationships, kink, um, being poly, um, even pop culture. So we really try to be a comprehensive resource for anyone that's exploring their sexuality to um, come in and dive a little deeper and reduce shame and stigma. And I love Instagram, especially um, because I get to connect one-on-one -on -one with people and talk in stories and Q&As and uh, help people and comments and answer questions. Um, so I really love being able to connect on that platform. Um, and really the goal and mission is just to reduce shame and stigma around sexuality and normalize sexual expression and expansion. Beautiful. So people can find that how? Um, it's slutty GRL probs on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also go to sluttygirlproblems.com. Perfect. Loray, is there anything else that we didn't get to cover that you want to leave us with? Um, sure. I also have my personal Instagram. It's at Larejo, um, and you can find me there for more of a personalized feel like I'm talking about today, um, where I'm diving a little bit more into my experiences and um, normalizing that through a little bit more of a personal lens. Slutty Girl Problems is um, a diverse array of voices, but if you want to connect a little bit more with me, I also do um, sex, love, relationship, 
coaching. Um, so you can hit me up there on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share this podcast, and you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. That really helps us out a lot. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can leave a donation or you can recommend us to potential donors, funders, grantors. I don't know the correct terminology because I'm learning this as I go, but um, if there's a way that you'd like to get involved monetarily you can visit www.spfpp.org and on the homepage, there are options to donate um if you're wanting to be a guest on the show please go to the website you can fill out the inquiry form or you can just email me directly at courtney at spfpp.org and we'll get the ball rolling from there i'm always looking for people to share their experiences with their stis again this is an intentionally inclusive hub of sex positive resources so anything that's gonna help us get equipped with the proper tools to navigate stigma and heal and transcend shame that's what i want to have here and having loray here was definitely something i felt like helped push us a little bit closer toward that goal till next time stay sex positive